Hey everybody out there and welcome back to Political Division Re-Envisioned with Nick Liberty. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the first episode of the trailer, basically I want to just touch on some of the subjects in American politics that I think are interesting, important, or otherwise not really properly covered or uh, given a fair shot. Uh, so in the last episode, I said that this time I was either going to do guns or abortion. I think I settled on guns for today because abortion is a little bit more sensitive. I think I'll wait on that one. Uh, guns are a little bit easier. There's a little bit more facts and statistics and easier solutions that don't make people as upset. Uh, and I think there's a little bit more middle ground to be found on it, whereas I think abortion becomes a little more touchy. Um, so I'm going to go with guns for today. We're going to talk about, um, it, I'm going to kind of split this into like two halves. The first half I want to focus on specifically like young people and the assault weapons ban and, and all that. And then the second half I want to go over more uh, general gun statistics. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll get into it in just a second. So the first thing that I wanted to kind of say is that... Um, I'm trying to, to keep this in like a kind of from both sides view on it. I'm trying to give both sides a little bit of credit and, and um, trying not to completely alienate either the left, the right, the center, or whatever you may be. Um, I am right-leaning libertarian, so, you know, to be fair, uh, I am probably going to take more of a pro-gun stance on some things, and I'm probably going to lean that way. But please, if you're listening and you're left-leaning, don't tune out because I really want you to hear this. And I especially at some point want to find a way for you to, to get feedback back in. And possibly even if you're really interested, I'd love to have a debate with you if I could find some way to connect with whoever might be downloading this, especially if you disagree with me. I would really like to, to create a segment on this podcast where I do like a debate with the members of the audience. Um, so anyway, I think one of the major issues, um, first off, is that if you're on the left and you're pro-assault weapons ban, which is this whole thing that I've heard tons of politicians in my job recently talking about, um, if you're going to, to do something like that, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but you need to be able to define what an assault weapon is. And it can't just be because a gun looks scary, which is currently kind of what the assault weapons ban is. I can't show you a picture on here, but if you want to see what I mean, please look up the, the gun. It's called the Ruger Mini 14 Tactical Rifle and the, Mini, the Ruger Mini 14 Ranch Rifle. This is a gun that has the same fire rate, the same muzzle velocity, the same capacity, but the first is banned under many laws, and the second is especially exempted. <laughs> but they're realistically the same gun. One is just all black and looks scary. So that's my question to you on the left. Like, what actually constitutes an assault weapon or an assault rifle? And my question to folks on the right is, you know, when it comes to especially young people having weapons, why is it unreasonable to put extra layers of security in there. Um, when we talk about like co-signing for bank accounts, that's something that we do with young people where they, they can't just start their own bank account because they have no credit history. Um, when we talk about giving young people licenses, we talk about doing like a learner's permit when they're 16 and, and making them do defensive driving courses. I want to get more into that in just a second, but you know, that's just a general question to the right where I think that sometimes they want to push for 
as easy of access to firearms as possible. And with some groups that are at risk, I think that it's fair to say that there maybe should be more restrictions on that. And now what I'm about to say is something that some states do. But if you're talking about making federal change to, to fix issues, then this is the kind of thing that should be adopted federally. So first off, the reason I want to address the issue with guns and young people specifically is because what I hear most of the time is people appealing to people's better nature, like the people in power are representatives. They tend to use, think about the children as a reason why we need to take away guns. So I want to address the, the young gun issue because when it comes to like school shootings, most of the time, if not almost all the time, the people committing those acts are either in grade school or fresh out of grade school. They're typically, there haven't been many school shootings where the shooter was like over 22. So what I would propose, and some states already have systems that are similar to this, but I'm not really hearing a lot of nationwide politicians talking about instituting this in, in either more states or just federally. Um, what I think is a fair way to say is that if you're under like 22, for example, we could argue semantics about like what exact age you know, with everything else that I say. Um, these are just balancing ideas out there. I'm not trying to push these into law right now. But if you're under, let's say, 22 and you want to get a firearm, I think it's reasonable to say just like how um, if you don't have credit stores, so they don't let you just take out a credit card or sign up for a bank account on your own you don't have a background for a background check to check. I mean, you do, but not really substantial. So I think it's fair to say, okay, so if you want to get especially certain weapons that might be more dangerous, for one, we're going to need you to get some references, probably from somebody older, um, parents, guardians, but also people that are outside your family. You know, if you're in grade school, like, you know, or you just graduated, maybe teachers, coaches, Things like that. I don't think it's unreasonable to say, okay, we just want to, to get a feel for your life and to be able to reach a couple of people that know you and see if they've noticed anything that might be of concern before we give you a weapon. And now that's not to say that those people will then be held lawfully accountable for the other person's actions, because that would be ridiculous. I know people on the right are going to be concerned about that. that. That would be ridiculous because they can't control what that person does or how well they hide it. Um, and also, you're at the end of the day, you're not going to stop every single terrible act that people do. But I think that if we instituted something like that federally, for one, it would take the pressure off of the average gun owner that's older, because you know, even though people of all ages do commit terrible acts, I think a lot of these, the most heinous ones, are by young people who are mentally unstable. And that's not to say that I'm not sympathetic towards the mentally unstable, but we need to, to find ways to help these people before they do something terrible. Because once they do something terrible, it's really hard to have any kind of sympathy for them, even though a lot of times there's more of the story than we know. So I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's a, an incredibly crazy thing. And I think if we did that right, it would be smart. I also think that something that we can do uh, in that same kind of vein, so I've just addressed like the malicious intent side of young people and guns. Now for the, the accidental side, 
I think it's really important that we institute some kind of federal program, just like how you have like a defense, like in my, in my state, you have a defensive driving program before you can get your license if you're under a certain age. I think we should do the same thing. And honestly, this, this is something I don't even think would be bad across the board if you have no experience with firearms to just have you take a general gun safety class, you know, to just have you go through, you know, always treat a gun like it's loaded, never point a gun at anybody, even if it's empty, um, you know, keep a gun pointed down when you're not ready to fire, just general safety rules for how to use a gun safely and how to make sure that nobody gets hurt unless you're not, you're in a survival situation and somebody needs to get hurt. So I, I think that if we did something like that, that could help reduce some of the accidental deaths. And, and you know, again, neither of these things and nothing I'm going to talk about is going to make it so that there's never a single gun death in America. I, I realize that. And, you know, the thing is, I just, I, I don't think that you're ever going to be able to completely remove violence from the populace, no matter how hard you try. People have issues and people have malicious intent. And they're going to find a way to hurt people. But I think these are some of the ways that maybe we can give the system more time to get to some of these people that might be kind of on that, that fence area between, you know, coming out of it and becoming a productive member of society and turning and doing something awful because they're unstable and unwell. So... So yeah, I mean, I don't know where people stand on this. I don't know what people think about it, but um, I'd love to get some comments and things on this on what people would uh, have to say about it. I, I just, I don't really hear a lot of politicians out there talking about these kind of solutions. I more just hear either we need to ban the guns, we need to take away the guns, we need to limit the ammunition, or we need 18-year-olds to be able to own Panzer tanks. <laughs> which I just don't think is, uh, is entirely necessary. I think that we could all agree that, you know, if somebody's too young to have a beer, they're probably maybe too young to handle a gun without some extra checks, which is a whole nother topic that I'm not going to really go in depth on today. But it's crazy to me that even that we have the, way, the system we do with age restrictions, at least in most states, you can, you know, you can gamble at 18, you can buy tobacco at 18, you can get a gun at 18, you can go and sign up and join the military at 18, but you can't have a drink until you're 21. It's just insane to me that, you know, you're, you're responsible enough to sign away the best years of your life to go, you know, potentially fight a foreign war, but you're not responsible enough to have a beer at the end of the day after fighting. <laughs> and, you know... You're responsible enough at 18 to sign up and go somewhere else to use a gun, but many people on the left say that you're not responsible enough to own a gun at home. So I think that we also, and again, I'm not going to get super heavy into that because that, that only vaguely re um, relates to this subject, but I think that's another interesting topic that I want to get into more heavy on another day. But I think we need to make that age restriction kind of like even across the field or at least make some more logical jumps between it. If, you, if you're 18 and you can have a gun, then you're probably safe to be able to sign up for you know the military. But if they want to change it to 21, then I think the argument needs to be made for changing the age of enlistment to 21 as well. But anyway, like I said, topic for another day. We'll get into that at a different time. 
Um, I'm going to take a short break here in my recording. You guys probably won't notice much of a difference if I do this right. But uh, then I'm going to start on my second half, which is more just general gun statistics and my, my general gun argument now that I addressed the school shooting issue a little bit. Okay, so now in this next segment, I kind of want to get into the more broad gun issue. I really wanted to address that first thing with, with the young people in the school shootings because I think that's the, like the hot button issue that people use as a reason to take away guns. And I wanted to address that first to kind of, um, I don't want to say get it out of the way because that makes it sound like I'm unsympathetic. I am sympathetic. It is a tragedy when children get shot in school, so there's no doubt about that. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And anything we can do to minimize that while still preserving people's rights is an amazing thing that we should do. Um, but now I want to, to focus on the general numbers and the general ideas of why I do believe that the Second Amendment is an important thing and why I think that if you're responsible, you should be able to own a gun to protect yourself. And I don't think that taking your gun away it is a smart idea. So this is where, you know, I'm gonna try not to let my bias come out, but like I said, I'm trying to acknowledge my personal bias. I am more pro-gun than anti-gun if I'm making a general, you know, one way or the other statement. So first off, I want to go through some general statistics, and I'm going to use 2019. Um, first off, yes, um, gun violence did increase in, you know, not, not necessarily a major, major way, but during the pandemic, there were more people shooting people and more people that were generally bored. <laughs> Um, so I'm not trying to conflate those statistics. It's just harder to find data uh, when it's brand new. Over the last couple of years, it hasn't really been fully analyzed. Not everything's been released. So I'm going to use 2019, and I'm acknowledging that, yes, you know, the, the rates went up a little bit in 2020 and 2021. Um, but so in, in 2019, according to FBI crime statistics, you guys can look this up. I really encourage you to do your own research on this. You may have heard this number of thirty to 40,000 gun deaths in America. I, I'm sure everybody's heard that. Uh, a lot of news sources use that as, as the reason why something needs to be done immediately. And I think that it's important that we break that number down. So, and then I'm also going to go into the worst case scenario and make an argument that even if it was the case that there were 30,000 people maliciously killed by other people's guns, it still wouldn't be an argument to take away guns. But let's start with that statistic. So there's, there were 39,707 gun deaths reported in the U.S. in 2019. Approximately three in five of those were suicides. 36% were homicides. What that means is that of those, you know, almost 40,000 gun deaths in America, 23,000 of them, roughly, it's like 23,824. I'm going to try and use simple numbers here, not because, you know, I want to cause any kind of confusion, just because it's, it's easier that way. And if anything, um, by rounding down, I'm giving credence to the other side a little bit, making it more fair to the other side of the argument. Um, but that means that 23,000, roughly, were suicides. So, you know, when it comes to, to gun violence and gun issues, I understand that we want to limit suicides too, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's somebody hurting themselves, which I don't want to happen either, but it, it's not really the, the real argument that you hear addressed for why guns need to be removed from America. Um, in that same year in 2019, 3,390 of those were children and teens between the ages of zero and 19. 
So, you know, I mean, that's like I said in, in the beginning of this, and like I've addressed in both segments, it, it's tragedy when children die. But when you're talking about millions and millions of children in America, 3,390, while still, you know, terrible and sad and something we want to avoid, it's not like what a lot of people on the news and a lot of representatives want you to believe, where it's like if you send your kid off to school, they're at a high risk of being shot. It's, it's just statistically not the case. And I'm trying to be sympathetic, but I'm also trying to get across the point that the fear mongering is not a reasonable response to this. Um, so to go on, out of, of 40,000 gun deaths in America in 2019, only 14,414 of those were homicides. So anytime you hear about like the mass shootings, anytime you hear about the gang violence, uh, anytime you hear about robberies, uh, break-ins, that only accounts for about 14,414 of those deaths. And also, just to be perfectly clear, I'm focusing on deaths. Yes, there were many more injuries, so this number might be a, lot, a bit higher, but um, you know, it's... These are the numbers that people really talk about that are the, the deaths because that's what really gets the news riled up. So I'm trying to focus on that. So at the, on the other side of the coin, I also think it's important to talk about the argument from the right about owning guns for protection. And while you know, the, it's hard to find statistical data on this, it, it's really difficult to, to find any source. Like, for example, I used the CDC and the FBI crime reports for the first one, the uh, the defensive use of firearms is kind of a, a gray area. It's hard to find a real number. But I mean, in the particulars, it really doesn't matter all that much because what you're talking about is if you take away guns, if you if you completely remove them, like some people on the, on the far left, I don't think most people go towards that, but just to entertain the, the idea, if you completely remove the ability of having a weapon to defend yourself, you end up in this scenario, and I'm not trying to, um, you know, gaslight people on the left into believing you need a gun. That's not my intent here. I just want to make an argument and see what people think of it. At the end of the day, right, so a lot of folks on the left don't really trust the police fully. They say that they're racist, that they're dangerous, that they're power-hungry and trigger-happy, right? So... Those, the two things that the left is arguing can't be simultaneously true. You can't not trust the police and also not want to have a way to defend yourself. Because at the end of the day, if you really believe the police don't care about you and they're the ones you call, what, what are you going to do? If you have somebody that's threatening your life and your family's life, somebody that's broken into your home, for example, and has a gun trained on you, what are you going to do? I mean, if you don't have a way to defend yourself, I mean, yeah, you can try and get like a baseball bat or a knife and you can try and do something, but at the end of the day, a gun beats knife or bat every single time with very rare occasions where that isn't the case. Maybe you catch somebody by surprise. But so let's just, you know, I address that a little bit, but, but even in best case scenario, right? Say that you do have good police in your neighborhood. You have a, a cop that really wants to be there and wants to help. Uh, the, the thing at the end of the day is even if you have the best cop in the world, if they're 15 minutes away and the person threatening your family is going to get through your door in three minutes, it doesn't matter how good that cop is. They're still going to have, you know, 12 minutes where you're waiting on the, on the police to arrive and you're now in a fight, flight or hide scenario. And 
that's not a good position to be in, and that's not one that I would want to put my family at risk for. If it came down to it at the end of the day, I would rather have a gun in my home that I hopefully never have to use, that stays locked up and gathers dust for years and years, and then when I die someday, I just you know pass it on in the will to somebody else. That's the best case scenario. But at the end of the day, that's an option you want to have. It's, it's not something you want to take a chance on because at the end of the day, you know, that's probably never going to happen to you. It's a very small chance. There aren't that many like burglaries or home invasions that, that end up that way. But my God, if it does happen to you, you know, I think that's an option people have a right to have because I don't, I mean, you talk about wanting to save children and wanting to keep women safe. That's a huge, huge thing. And then Diving further into that on the women's issue, I find it very funny, and again, I'm going to address a question from the left because the, the issue with guns often comes from the left wanting to remove them. I'm trying not to be biased, but I'm trying to present logical arguments. Um, one of the things I hear from the left a lot when it comes to other issues like abortion, again, I'm going to cover that later, is that we want to protect women and protect women's health and keep women safe. And the right or and the left on the other side also says that you know men are dangerous pigs and rapists that want to harm women. And again, you can't have it both ways. So if you say that you know women don't need to have firearms, but also that men are dangerous and want to harm them, those two things can't simultaneously be true. If you have you know a woman who's maybe, you know, uh, college aged and she's walking home at night and she's, you know, not got a ton of money so she has to live in a neighborhood with high crime rates. I, if it were my wife, well, I have a fiance, I don't have a wife yet, but if it were my fiance or if someday it were my children or if it was, you know, uh, even my mother or something, I want them to have some kind of equalizer so that if a, a stronger, even just larger man is trying to do harm to her, she has a chance. Because at the end of the day, and some people would consider this uh, sexist, but it's not my intent to say sexist, it's just to say on average that many women are smaller than many men. So it comes down to a fact that if you have a, a 200 pound woman even, versus a 300 or 350 pound man, he's gonna have a huge advantage on her just physically, even if that's not in a muscular way, even if that's just weight. It's gonna be hard for her to get away from him if he's trying to do malicious intent. And the only thing that's gonna give her a fighting chance is bear spray or a gun. So I, I just, I think it's kind of, of odd when you hear the same argument from one side, they want to protect women, but on the same side, they don't want women to have access to firearms. So I think that's an, an interesting, um, you know, just a tidbit to go. I didn't really want to do a huge segment in this on that. I just kind of wanted to briefly bring that up as another point of contention that I think is very important. And so now I want to get into like the, the hypothetical world. So all of that was, was logic, statistics, facts. Now I want to get into addressing why I think that even in the worst case scenario, even if some of the things you hear on the news and you hear representatives and elected officials tout, even if those things were true, I still don't think it justifies taking away guns. So let's say for a second 
that 30 to 40,000 people were killed in mass shootings every year, which is not the case. Uh, but even if it were, the reality is I still don't think that would justify. Because what you're talking about is, is you're talking about a, a still very small number of the, of, the, um, of the population that would be affected. We have right now in America, we have 329.5 million people in America, according to the most recent census data in 2020. Um, so you're talking about, even if it was 40,000, if you divide that, I'm going to do it right now, 329.5 million, 329.500, even if we take that number, that means that statistically, you have a 0.01% chance if we remove all factors of being killed by guns in a year. And again, this is all hypothetical because as I went over in the earlier segment here, uh, a huge portion of that is um, it's suicides or it's gang-related violence. So realistically, it's an even smaller number. But even if we took those numbers on face value, a 0.01% chance of being involved in gun violence is extremely, extremely small. I mean, the odds that you're going to encounter that in an average day is just astronomical. You're, I mean, you're more likely to, I mean, when you talk about like the, the threat to children, a child is more likely to die in a car accident or in a school bus accident on their way to school, statistically, than they are to get shot at school. So, I mean, in, in my mind, if you really want to make the argument that you need to ban guns, then you need to ban cars and you need to ban basically anything else that has a, a hard corner or a rough edge because there's more threat from everyday things than there are from gun violence in all reality. When they say we have a gun violence epidemic, we have a mental health epidemic. That, that is absolutely true. We have people that are unstable that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, that aren't getting the help they need, that are going off the deep end, that are killing people. Yes, absolutely. And it's a problem and it should be addressed. But I don't think that you treat a disease by treating the symptoms. It's just not going to do it. It's like um, if, you, if you had a terrible terminal illness and it was causing you to be hungry and, or to not want to eat, and instead of trying to treat the disease, the doctors were like, oh, well, we'll put you on, a, um, on an appetite accelerant. It, it's like, yeah, I mean, that solves one of the problems, but it doesn't really solve the root issue. The root issue in this is not that people have guns. The issue is that people want to use those guns to harm people. And I don't think that if you take away those guns, that those people are just going to lose that malicious intent. I think that there's going to be just as much violence from other sources. And I mean, it's like when you see people plow through parades in other countries frequently in their vehicles. I mean, people that are unstable and unwell are still going to act on those negative uh, emotions and those negative thoughts unless we do something to try and solve the deeper issue. And now, before I close out this episode, to, uh, to go back to the non-hypotheticals and, and make you feel hopefully a little bit more at ease and make you realize that you know, you're, you're not alone if you're pro-gun and you're also not alone if you're anti-gun and you're afraid of getting shot, but I'm hoping that this can make you feel a little bit better. So I already said that realistically, even by the worst statistics, you got about 0.012% chance of being involved in gun violence in a year. 
uh, if you go even further into that, if you take away a lot of the risk factors, that chance becomes even smaller. I mean, and I'm not trying to um, disparage anybody or uh, I'm not trying to beat up anybody who lives in certain areas, but realistically, if you live in higher density population areas, there's more chance of violence. So if you're if you're not in one of the major like 10 cities in America, your chances of being involved in something like this is, is significantly lower already. Uh, also, if you talk about you know gang violence or crime element on crime element crime, that chance goes down even further. I mean, there, there's a huge number. I won't get into the exact statistics. You guys can look those up on your own if you want to. It's kind of hard to find raw data on it. But I mean, if you think about it realistically, criminals are more likely to use and have guns. So if you have two elements that are criminal and they both end up in a confrontation, the chances of a gun being pulled are much more significant than if average people end up in a confrontation or even a criminal on, on a civilian uh, confrontation. I mean, it's just a logical like response. Realistically, in most cases, even criminals don't want to shoot civilians. They just want to take something they have or get them to comply. So, I mean, realistically, the chance of you being involved in, in a gun crime, if you're not putting yourself already in a bad scenario, it is extremely low. And that's not to say it's not a tragedy when it happens. Yeah, people do get caught in the crossfire. There are drive-by shootings where random civilians get shot at gas stations or um, people go in are involved in a robbery somewhere else that goes wrong and the person panics. These things do happen and I'm all for hearing solutions to fix the issue. My problem with it is that the, the, the solution that's being offered most of the time is we need to take away the guns and we need to remove that from the equation. And I just don't think that that's where you're going to see the most positive impact. So my, my argument on this, if I want to summarize everything up here at the end, is yes, more needs to be done about gun violence in America. Yes, there is an issue. But I think that what we could both agree on, middle of the aisle, I think people from the right and left could come together on this, is that we need to address we need to address people's mental issues and address more of those deep-rooted problems through offering more mental health services, through offering better evaluations, having better checks in schools so that we can find people, especially early on. Because the, the realistic thing is that if, if you catch people that have problems when they're young, it's a lot easier to fix than when those problems become deep-seated and they've continued to go down a dark path for years of their lives. So I think if we really want to solve this issue, and especially if we want to do as the representative on the left claim and save the children, you need to also save the children that want to hurt the children by finding some way to get that mentality out of them. And again, I know at the end of the day, you're never going to, to stop 100% of gun violence. You're never going to stop 100% of anything. But we can minimize that and we can find ways to come together on both sides of the aisle, right, left, center, anarchist, whatever. Maybe not anarchist, maybe they'd be happy with it, but you know what I mean. Generally speaking, we can find ways to come together to actually solve these problems, and I just think that what our representatives are offering us are not the actual best solutions to the problems. I think that there are, are ways that we can actually make a difference, and I just, 
I don't think going all one direction or all the other is where that solution is made. And that's the whole reason, like I said in the earlier episodes and in the trailer, I made this podcast is because I often find myself talking to people and I'm able to have rational, normal conversations with them where when I go through some of the logic behind this, they say, oh, you know what, that actually kind of makes sense. Especially people that are in like high risk areas, they say, you know what, that's a good point. The cops do sometimes take 20 minutes to get here when it's, you know, even a, even a partial emergency, let alone an actual emergency. So, I mean, sometimes in, in certain areas, if the, if all the cops are dispatched, even if they pull them immediately, it's going to be a while before they arrive. So I, I think that people understand this and I think that people are more willing to compromise on this than the people that supposedly represent us are. And again, I'd like to hear what people out there think of if this gets any kind of traction, if anybody hears this out there that's interested. Um, please continue listening. I'm planning on, I literally just started this podcast like three days ago uh, at the time of this recording. This is August 3rd. So I'm planning on doing like a, a podcast specific email so I can take some messages from people out there that might be listening. I'm planning on getting some social media up for it, but I'm kind of in the early stages here. And I really wanted to address this one because this is a topic that has been in the forefront of news for a very long time. Um, so anyway, guys, I think that's about all I got for you for today. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do for the next episode. Maybe I'll do something on the Supreme Court. Maybe I'll do something on, uh, on abortion. Like I said, I'm still a little hesitant on abortion because I don't want to immediately alienate uh, a large portion of the audience so early into the podcast. But I think that there are ways to, to do that where it could be kind of reasonable. And maybe I'll even just give a disclaimer. If you're sensitive on this topic, maybe you skip this episode. Either way, I, I, there should be another uh, episode of the podcast coming out very soon. And I hope you guys will continue to tune in. And as I've said numerous times, I really hope I can get more audience involvement in this. So um, thank you for listening to Political Division Re-Envisioned. I hope you enjoyed. And uh, I, I hope that... I aggravated everybody a little bit, but I hope I also brought things back and offered some ideas that both sides can agree with. I, I think that it's nice to have that balance. So thanks again for listening and have a good one, everybody.